So we're talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two books of the Bible that are written to the same church, the church of Thessalonica, and also two books of the Bible written to the same church in Corinth. And uh, both of those churches received information from the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit that Jesus is coming again for the rapture of the church. You'll find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Thessalonians, and chapter 4 in specifics. But we find there is one letter, five chapters, every one of them ending with a reminder that Jesus is coming again. Let me remind you there's two times that Jesus is coming. Number one, he's coming for his saints. That is when he comes. We call it the rapture of the church. Uh, Titus 2.13 calls it the blessed hope, something that encourages you and something you're looking forward to, and that is a reunion with our heavenly Father through his son Jesus. So the first time he comes, he's coming for his saints. He won't step foot in this world. We'll meet the Lord in the, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is when he comes for his saints. Seven years later, and this is called the day of Christ. It's mentioned at least three times in our New Testament, the day of Christ. There's one of the new versions, or most of the new versions, take one of those and change it to the day of the Lord, and I think it's a mistake that creates some challenges and some misunderstanding on that. I'm glad I'm using the King James Version of the Bible. Unless the day of Christ is when we come and Jesus comes, we go be with him. Another, another uh, term for that is, uh, is, 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 of course, the rapture of the church, the blessed hope, and the coming of the Lord. This is, uh, that's when God's people will meet the Lord in the air. Now, that will also start seven years of tribulation. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's called also another time, Daniel's 70th week. If you read the book of Daniel, chapter 9, it will predict that there will be a one more seven-year period of time in which, um, in which the Lord's going to come back. Jesus will come for his saints. And then seven years later, he'll come back with his saints, with his angels, to set up a millennial uh, uh, a millennial reign, a thousand-year reign with the Lord. We call that the day of the Lord. This is the day of the Lord. This is the day of Christ. This is the rapture, and we go to, he comes for his saints. Over here, he comes with his saints. During that seven-year period of time, uh, God's people will be with him. Now, there will be people saved here during the time of the tribulation period, most people believe it'll be heavily Jewish uh, salvations. Uh, most of the, it'll be, it's, it's, it's in this particular time, we call it the church age. The church, as we know it, are not found, and the, the seven-year period here is more for the nation of Israel than it is for the local church. The church is now going to be with the Lord. Okay, so you, that's why when you read the book of the Revelation from Revelation 4 to Revelation 19, you don't see the name church. You see church in chapter 1, 2, 3, and then you know, whenever in chapter 4, verse number 1, when it speaks of being caught up with the Lord, the church is not mentioned for those chapters from 4 to 19. Why? Because the church is not there. And we learned last week in chapter 5 how he said, of the times and the seasons, brethren, there's no need that I write unto you. I don't need to tell you about that. Why? Because you're not going to be here. 
You're not going to be here. You don't need to do that. There's not to, and over here, when you uh, look at this right here, there's really all we understand that's going to happen before the coming of the Lord, that there's going to be a falling away. Okay, we're going to, in latter times, the Bible tells us very clearly in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. And there's going to be a departure from the faith. And, of course, I imagine in any, uh, any particular time of history you can see, and that's not the world going to hell in a handbasket. That are, that's our people who say they're believers in Christ who have just embraced compromise. They've, con- they've gone away. So that's going to happen, and then the Lord's going to come back. That's the only sign we had to look for. Now, when you read the Old Testament and you read... Uh, Zeph- Ze- uh, Zechariah chapter 14, you read uh, Deuteronomy, you, read, uh, you, you, you begin to um, understand what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. He's talking about a signs and wonders. And I, I will just tell you this, I feel like in times past, I was thinking when you hear of famines and wars and earthquakes, and we do hear of that, okay? But that are those, in, in my opinion, in context are not talking about the rapture, the day of Christ. They're talking about the day of the Lord. The signs and the seasons, that's why he tells, he said, you know, they were saying, what are the signs of your coming? He goes, you don't need to know that. The only sign we have to look for is really, we can stop looking for signs over here and start listening for the shout. We can stop listening for signs and listen for the trumpet's going to sound and we'll go be with the Lord. But the signs and the seasons were primarily for the Jewish people and the Israelite people is my opinion on those things. And that's where you can kind of, if you're not careful, we can blend both of them together. The book of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, I think, lays out a distinction between the two. The rapture of the Lord, or the rapture of the church, and the day of the Lord coming. Well, let's look at this real quickly. Chapter 1 will tell us this. Chapter 2 is a little more lengthy and challenging, I think, to some extent, but also very helpful to us. And I'm looking forward to doing that. Next Sunday night, we'll have the joy to have Brother Rick Martin with us, Lord willing. And I'll, uh, we'll turn the pulpit over to him, and I'll be so glad to have him with us. And I hope you'll plan to bring an offering of love to him and encouragement to him and his wife, Becky. And let's do what we can. This is the church they were sent out of. And uh, we ought to be a blessing to them, especially we're looking forward to having them next week. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, this week, Brother Gary Dice will be with us on Wednesday evening, too. And I'm looking forward to both of those men sharing God's word with us. We're looking at the, uh, the book of Second uh, Thessalonians. Let me just tell you real quickly before we go, go look at that, why Second Thessalonians is needed. Now, he may have written numbers of letters. And, of course, I believe in the book of Corinthians. Uh, I think there's a reference to these two books that we have, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but probably he wrote two other letters. The Holy Spirit didn't put all four of them in the Bible, but he put two of them in the Bible. He may have written other letters to this church, but two of them are in the Bible. And the reason for the second letter primarily is because somebody, uh, an enemy of the gospel, had sent a letter to the church and forged Apostle Paul's name on it. And they said that teaching them that the rapture has already taken place. And there's no need for you to continue on looking for the coming of Christ and getting people not to be concerned about the rapture of a church. Now, let me tell you something, and I just want to reiterate this. There are four byproducts of a person anticipating the coming of Christ that I think God wants us to do. I heard a man years ago, and Brother Vargo and I have mentioned to him many times, we have a friend named Gilbert Gaylor, and he would say to me, John, You'll notice that great Christians 
live in the imminent return, the conscious awareness of the imminent turn of Christ. Great Christians anticipate the coming of the Lord. What happens when we anticipate that? First of all, when you know the Lord is coming for you, number one, I think you're going to have patience of hope. You're going to have strength to keep on going through difficult times. You know this is just temporary. Every trial is a temporary trial. <laughs> Nothing you're going through. If they, your doctor tells you this week you got cancer. That's a temporary trial. If they tell you you got this situation or you go through a financial revert, it's temporary. For a child of God, every trial is a temporary trial and it's going to get better. But while you're going through the trial, what you need is patience of hope. You need to hope. And that's why the Bible calls the coming of Christ the blessed hope. Number two, whenever you know you're going to see Jesus soon, he's coming back for you, and you're going to see him as he is, and you're going to be like him, you will purify yourself even as he also is pure. The second bright product is I will live a more elevated, holy life. I'll be pure. I'm going to see him. He's pure, and I want to be pure like him. And John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 tells us that. And then in Titus chapter 2, as we look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus 2, verse number 13, he says, then you'll understand that the grace of God that brought you salvation doesn't just save you, it sets up a classroom in your heart to live soberly, holy, and righteously in this present world. And soberly is a key word. It means with purpose. You've got to remember, you, have a, you need to understand uh, your personal destiny, your personal purpose. Why in the world are you sucking air today? Why are you still here after you're saved? God has a purpose for you. Every adult ought to figure that out. If you're 54 years old like I am, or you're 14 years old like maybe you are, if you're a senior adult or a single saint, or you are a, a teenager, or you're a college student, you've got to realize why, what is, you have a sense of personal destiny. Why does God have me here? That's sobriety. That's living, understanding that God, God put me on the planet for something. You know, interesting to me as I was talking today with our good folks who were in the discipleship lesson. But Jesus got baptized at the age of 30. He came to the earth and for the first 30 years he worked and framed houses. And he made pulpits or he made chairs and tables and hung doors and, and uh, fixed. He worked with wood. Is that why he came to the earth to work with wood? No. And then his baptism... After that, I don't think he hung another door. I don't think he, he, he nailed another nail. I don't think he, uh, he framed another house. That was over. That was things he did. He came to do what he came on the earth to do, and that was to go to the cross and pay for your sin and my sin. And I think there's importance about that. I think all of us ought to come to a wake-up in our hearts and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Just two choices on the shelf. You can live for, your, you can live for God or you can live for yourself. And every day I make those choices. And sometimes I've made some wrong choices. I've just done what I wanted to do. I have, I have conducted myself the way I want to go. I've watched what I want to watch. I do what I want to do. But boy, it'd be a good, the, the best days in the life and times of John Wilkerson are the ones that I have done what God wanted me to do. And I've been sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. And I think when we live in the awareness of the coming of Christ, we live more soberly, holy, and righteous in a wicked world that we live in, this fallen world. And then the fourth thing will be zealous into good works. And you want to be more zealous to do what God wants you to do with your time, your effort, your energy, your treasure, your, your training, all the things that have come there. 
So he has challenged them about the coming of Christ. And then now somebody has written a letter to these new believers. And remember, Paul was with them no more than four weeks, we don't think, three Sabbath days. So he didn't have a lot of time with them. But during that time, you'll see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 5 and 6, he said, remember, I told you about the coming of Christ when I was with you. When I was with you, I told you these things. I told you about the second coming. It's not just the first coming. It's the second coming. He gave them that information. But while he, was, uh, he wrote them that first letter, someone gave him another letter that said that this has already happened and went to confuse these new believers. So he writes back letter number two. And that is given back to them to straighten that out and to help us understand a few things. Now, there's three chapters, and the chapters are not uh, divinely orchestrated, but I'm glad I have a Bible with chapters, aren't you? And I'm glad we got them with verses. But we do certainly have... Here, he's going to introduce this second letter. He's going to introduce himself. And he's going to reference the forged letter that they'd already received in chapter 2 and 3. But in chapter 1, he, he basically gives them a greeting in verse 2 verses. And then he's going to give a, one of the longest sentences in the Bible. Uh, beginning in verse number 3 to verse number 10 is all one sentence. It has three colons, three semicolons. It has, multi, it has two parentheses. It has 11 commas, so it's just a long sentence, and I'll just leave it to Miss Gail Morhowski to diaphragm that one right there. I wouldn't want to do that. I want to be wherever that's not happening. Looks like a hard thing to do. It's a long, it's a long sentence, 195 words in one sentence. But there's a lot being said there as we look at this, uh, this thing. Let's look at verse number one. Can we please? The Bible says he just introduces himself as Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus. And he's writing again to the church of the Thessalonians, uh, in, in, in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace unto you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. A typical greeting, and he introduces himself first. We normally sign our name at the end of a letter. The Eastern way was to put their name at the beginning of a letter, so you know who is writing to you, and the greeting is there. Verse number three starts that long uh, sentence, beginning in chapter one, verse number three, and ends in chapter two. 1, verse number 10. It says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is me, because of your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So he's giving them a little bit of praise. Would you agree with that? What is he praising them for? What are some attributes that you see there? Love. Yeah, love is one of the main ones. I'm just really impressed. By the way, you love. By the way, you, show, you know, Jesus said in John 11, he, or 13, and he says this. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love. It's the pristine attributes. One thing that we ought to have here, when I meet with guests, I oftentimes tell them, listen, we're not, we're not the greatest church in the world. We've got a lot of room for improvement. It's bigger than the room in this auditorium. There's a room for improvement. But what we're trying to do is exalt the Lord Jesus Christ Proclaim his word and, and feel and share his love. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And that last one's very important. There's just not very many better compliments than you find somebody. And boy, the world cannot imitate that. That needs to, something comes from the Spirit of God. And the, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. Right out of the box there. He said, there by the faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is, behold, I show you a more excellent way. And that is love. Uh, love is, is, is a personification of who God is. The Bible says God is love. And it's, it's something an attribute, and he praises them. So you see an element of praise here in verse number 3, the first part of that long uh, 
sentence. Verse number four. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God. Says when we hear your name comes up, we rejoice, we glory, we get it. Your life gives others a good opinion of God and the other churches that we go and visit. For your patience, that means perseverance to continue through difficult times, and faith in all your what? And that ye endure. So he's pointing out that uh, he praises them for their love, but he also praises them for their patience. They're willing to go through difficult times. They are being persecuted. They are going through some very heavy times. Matter of fact, the reason Paul had to leave so abruptly is because of persecution on this new body of believers. They said, you got to go. And he went down the road to Berea. And then from Berea, they chased him out of Berea. And he went on to Athens. And then he sent uh, Timothy back to them. And so they were still there in the heat of this. They had, a, they had taken a guy, I think his name is Jason. Uh, and they had hurt him in this church, if I'm not mistaken. And you can read about it in, in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians, or excuse me, Acts chapter 17. Let's continue on if we can, please. So he said they're, they're going through difficult times. Your, 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 your continued patience, your continued to persevere through person, persecutions and tribulations that you're going through is very admirable and it's bringing glory to God. Other people are hearing about this. Way to go. Verse, verse number five. Which is the manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. He said, you know, it kind of goes with the territory. If you read a little bit in, uh, in uh, the uh, Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, he said, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for, for righteousness' sake. For you have your reward. So he is kind of telling them, not only do you got some problems, and I praise you for your perseverance and your love, but he will, I will say this, that it's, it kind of goes with the ter- territory that problems are going to come to people who are faithful to try to get the gospel out. Let's look, if we can, please, at verse number 6. Notice this and read it with me, would you please? Seeing it is a... Okay, now he has a promise. And the promise here, we, he has some praise. He says, look. It is a, God is going to reward you for being faithful through problems. And now he says, number two, God is not only going to reward you and I for being faithful through problems and persecution. Now, most of us, we are not, uh, we're not being persecuted as we speak. Would you agree with that? There may be some in this room who really get the dickens when they go home. There may be some, and there are some precious, no doubt, some young people that live in Chicago and and maybe their family doesn't understand what's going on, and they just give them, a, give them a problem, and they're going to City Baptist, they do something wrong, and their families just really give them the dickens and persecute them, give them a hard time. That happens, and our church is full of illustrations that's happened, but most of us do not have heavy persecution. We might have some problems, but we don't have the persecution like many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world do. Okay? However, he says, I, I want you to know that God's going to reward those who go through difficult times with patience and faith, and love in the Lord. So he speaks of reward. Number two, he speaks of recompense. What does recompense mean to you when you hear the word recompense? Payback. And by the way, who is the only one who has the right to do any payback? Vengeance is mine. You can read in Deuteronomy. You can read it also in Romans chapter, chapter 12. Listen, if you and I try to pay someone back, we're off our rug. 
okay? We're, we're not supposed to be there. That's not our job, okay? That's the Lord's job. He said, but it is a righteous thing in the sight of God to recompense evil. They're being persecuted. They're going through difficult times. And he says, now God, he's going to reward you for being faithful through a difficult time. And those who are nemesis, those who are adversarial to the cause of Christ, he said that their day is coming and God is going to deal with them. So we have a praise for the love and perseverance of this church. We have a promise. God is going to reward people who are faithful through difficult times, tribulations and hardships and persecution, and he's going to recompense evil. I remember years ago, I had a neighbor, and he says, if your God's all that, then why don't you come in and fix all the problems right now? Boy, I remember he just so arrogant. He'd have a bud light in his hand when he'd be telling me that. I just wanted to punch him right in the nose. If your God's all that, why don't you come down here and fix all the problems, you know? Why do bad things happen? When's he going to do fix this world? And boy, he was part of the problem in the world. He had to fix him, you know. But uh, boy, it frustrates me. But, but God is going to fix things. Look, if you would please, the next verse, verse number seven. And to you who are troubled, uh, rest with us. I want you to take a deep breath. If you're going through some difficulties in your, t in your life, and you're feeling some pressure, you're feeling some difficulty, some of it may be self-imposed. How many have had self-imposed problems? You create your own problems, <laughs> okay? Some how many have occasionally have somebody else and created a problem for you. Sure. He said, if you're, if you're going through some troubles, he says, I want you to rest with us. Doesn't mean you don't have a problem in this life. He said, I want you to rest, I want you to be at peace, understanding the rest of the story is not on. Paul Harvey's story is not done yet. There's another part of the side, there's another side of the coin. Let's look at the next thought we can. Send to you who are troubled, I want you to rest with us. And I want you to notice the next word. What's the next word in your Bible? When. I want, I want to encourage you, if you're underlining things in your Bible, or circle, circle that when. And then I want you to circle another when on chapter 1, verse number 10. Do you see that first word of verse 10? Circle that one too. When, when. That's important. He said, if you're going through a difficult time, I want you to rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty who? Okay, let me just ask you, Bible students, is that talking about the rapture of the church, the day of Christ, or is that talking about the day of the Lord? Is he coming for his saints, or is he coming with his saints and his angels? We're looking, we're looking here at this, this seven-year period after the rapture of the church, I think, if we look at it in context. And sometimes context takes things that are puzzling and difficult and simplifies them and oftentimes has the ability to, to, to solve vast, stimulating questions. And it keeps us from false assumptions that we can kind of come up on our own. See what we're dealing with. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. The Bible says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting, what? From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Let me ask you something. Is all that stuff that we're just talking about there, this destruction, this power, this vengeance, happening here or happening here? I believe it's over here. I believe the Bible's talking about that. He said, but... While we're over here in the church age waiting for the coming of the Lord, he said, I want you, you're going through trouble, some persecution, and boy, we have some brothers and sisters doing that. He said, rest, knowing that this is not 
your permanent state. Because the Lord is going to come from heaven. We'll learn about this more. We've learned about all the book of 1 Thessalonians. You're going to learn more of that in 2 Thessalonians. He said, when the Lord comes back, but there is going to be judgment. There is going to be judgment. There's going to be rewards. By the way, what happens during the time that the Lord comes back for his saints and he comes with his saints? Guess what's going on in heaven? Not only the marriage supper of the Lamb, but there's another thing going on. Do you know what that is? The judgment seat of Christ. What is going on the judgment seat of Christ? Punishment for sin? No. Rewards for righteousness. So we, we have a promise that God's going to reward. We have also a promise that God's going to recompense evil. All those situations and those who are enemies of the cross, enemies of God, will receive the, the damnation that is coming to them. And I, I'm telling you, if I look at that, I see some pretty, I don't want to be there, do you? Everlasting destruction, vengeance of God. He's telling it at this time. And once again, we're talking about the day of the Lord. You can see that later on in this passage. But let's look at the next verse, if we can. Verse number, verse number, verse number 9. Who should be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now notice here, what's the next word? When. Uh, when he shall become to be glorified with his, in his saints. And to be admired from all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So basically, he says, when you're going through difficult times, the coming of Christ should be something that you understand. Okay, this is not fun, but I can rest. Because I know the Lord's going to come back. And when you have your question, why do, why do so many good things seem to happen to some very wicked people? And when are they going to get their day? He said, rest. That day is coming. That day is going to come. Let's look if we can, please. And you see the two winds. If you don't, if you don't see those two winds, I think you're going to find when is things going to be settled? Not necessarily here. They'll be settled for me and you will be with forever with the Lord. But the, the judgment is still coming at the end of that seven-year period of time. If I understand the scripture correctly, I have been wrong. And I may be wrong this time. I don't know. I frequently am, I think. But let's just continue on and see what the Bible says here. Verse number 12, 11. Wherefore, also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of, his, of this calling, of this difficult season you're going through, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Boy, that's a mouthful right there. Here's his prayer life. He says, look, I'm praying that God would help you to go through this time and give it worth. And that God would give you strength and power to work through this and continue to love and, and have faith, uh, even through a difficult season. I'm not, I, without any doubt, I think the church at Thessalonica are going through more problems than the church of Hammond is. Don't you agree? We got our problems, but we're not having the same problems these guys have. He said, but I, I pray that God will help you and give worth to what you're calling to do, and you'll stay faithful to your calling through challenges. This is a great, great encouragement to us. Now look at verse number 12 and read it with me, would you please? That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Here he's, he's reminding us, he says, look, remember much of what we do should be, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, should do all to the glory of God. And this is the glory of God, in, in short, means to give others a good opinion of God. So when I'm going through my good times or my bad times, you're going through your good times and bad times, in my marriage, in our relationships with our children, 
on the basketball floor, in my, in, my, in, my, in my classroom, wherever I am, I want to give others a good opinion. He said, whatever you're going through, remember that you're bringing glory through your life to him and him and you, that people can know and, and believe that uh, Jesus is who he ought to be. These are just some, some uh, bolts and nuts of this particular passage of Scripture. I think the takeaway that we find is that we're going to go through some difficult times, and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, both in the rapture, the day of Christ, and in uh, the coming with his saints of the day of the Lord, should encourage us to know that uh, God is a God who praises us for good, love, and faithfulness, and perseverance. He's a God who promises not only reward, recompense, he'll deal with the bad dudes, and he can rest, you can rest while you're waiting for him. One of the things I find in the scriptures, oftentimes the Bible tells us to rest in the Lord. Even in difficult times, rejoice in the Lord. Not necessarily because circumstances, but I can rest in the Lord. Knowing that every trial is a temporary trial, and all those things are a light affliction compared to a greater weight of glory. And then we find prayer. And the prayer is that I will be faithful through difficult times. Some of you are going through difficult times. Oh, you may not be persecuted. No one's taking your shirt off and beating a slop out of you because of your, wishing, your, your, your witnessing. You might get a door slammed in your face or someone to cuss at you or get that blankety blank out of my face or whatever, but that, that's pretty light compared to what much of the world goes through. But I think all of us, if you're going through a difficult time, you can rest. And knowing that God is a God who will reward, he'll recompense, he'll give rest to you. And you and I ought to pray that God would help us and others within our sphere of influence, both locally and globally, to continue to give glory to God for his namesake and for the edification and the evangelism of the world. May God help us to do that. Let's pray together. Can